Hello and welcome to the Yoga Syndicate. This episode is called What is Suffering? Ellen, what is suffering? Suffering is an English rendering of the Sanskrit word dukkha. Uh, and although we translate it as suffering, uh, what it really means is all forms of existence uh, that you are not in which you are not enlightened. So it means since we're not enlightened that our default state is uh, unsatisfactory. So uh, the word dukkha or suffering, it actually covers all kinds of suffering from uh, really severe pain and mental and physical pain to just a slight boredom or something being slightly dissatisfactory. So this is all part of dukkha, this is all part of suffering. Which is the uh, first great noble truth uh, according to Buddha uh, or am I wrong? Yeah, the the first uh, teaching, the first turning of the Dharma wheel as we call it that was given by the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha was uh, uh, about the four noble truths which is kind of an assessment of our human situation so he was not the first one to to uh, realize that uh, the ordinary mundane life is is marked by suffering suffering or being dissatisfactory but he he really analyzed it and uh, and rendered it in in a very clear um, fourfold uh, system or which he called the which is called the four noble truths or the truths as the noble ones the uh, enlightened uh, ones will will see it how they will perceive the world and they will perceive the world as suffering because they perceive the world from a different perspective from a higher perspective and there the, the second of that higher perspective lends to that all suffering is 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 not necessarily external but it's coming from your from your own mind yeah so the four noble truths are rendered as uh, in the opposite order of course and effect so you have the effect uh, first and then you have the course so you have the first noble truth that is the truth of suffering existence is suffering and then you have the second noble truth which is the the course of suffering what is the source of suffering and uh, the source of suffering here is said to come from from our minds it has to do with our way of perceiving reality and of perceiving of ourselves i see and um now bringing suffering away from from any particular standpoint and just you know looking into any you know modern day circumstance i mean you know everyone is obviously then suffering um, what's your play on that? Well, I think suffering is unavoidable. Just the fact of being born as a human being, we know that we're gonna suffer. We know that we're gonna suffer the 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 pain of uh, aging, of illness, of death, of losing our loved ones. That's kind of in our cards, whether we believe in uh, what the what the whether we accept what the Buddha said or or not. You know, back in the yoga days as well, I mean, there seems to be uh, a lot of, um, well, not so-called just scripture, but a lot of, 
you know, um, written down or interpreted thought based on, you know, where yoga stems from uh, in the sutras and in the different padas and in the, 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 the second pada, the sadhana pada, you have a lot of, you know, techniques in, in how to hone in on the suffering and do something about it. Mm. Well, it's very similar uh, if you read the Patanjali Yoga Sutras. It also assesses the human situation as dissatisfactory. And it all boils down to us making a mistake. So in the case of Patanjali, we make a, a mistake of... Uh, of uh, associating ourselves or believing that we are the material reality, we are prakriti, whereas we really are purusha, we are really a completely different substance, we are really spirit, but we perceive of ourselves as matter, and this matter is uh, is going to change. So uh, as long as matter, as who we are, as long as our material reality will will change, the fact that we try to hold on to it and associate ourselves with it, believing that that is what we are, then we're bound to suffer. Well, then you know, if we're bound, then we're on a journey, and if we're on a journey, we're we're on a path. And the great uh, poison of the path is the klesha literally means meaning the poison of the path now uh the five kleshas were also aimed to remind us what it is the components some of them that 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 truly in a general you know light make us suffer the first of which being avidya mm -hmm. which is anything that by the way if, if you're just tuning in or or tuning into yoga uh, in your first weeks or months, anything that begins with an awe means non. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you have vidya, which means knowledge, the lack or the non-knowledge would be then the ignorance. Is this first klesha, is it a form? How do we suffer from the lack of knowledge, Ellen? Mm -hmm. Well, the klesha of uh, avidya, of uh, ignorance, we can call it, is really the root of uh, all the others. In Buddhism, we say it, it, it's ignorance, attachment, and uh, and uh, aversion that are the root uh, kleshas or the, the root uh, obscurations. And uh, it's really the, but we could also say that it's the, uh, it's the avidya that's the root of everything. It's not knowing, it's, it's the unreflected life. And uh, in the unreflected life, all we do is following our habitual patterns and uh, um, reinforcing our habitual patterns, So, which means that we will suffer again. So, so that is exactly what samsara is. It's just this unreflected uh, existence where we keep running in the same circles. Well, what about a, a way too strong reflective existence in terms of these uh, smoke and mirrors that we in the modern day world, as we we sort of deny uh, some of these techniques uh, with with you know being connected uh, to uh, material items and therefore bigging up this asmita, which is the second klesha uh, in terms of the ego. I mean, uh, a lot of us that have began yoga or novices or you know are, are just in the the beginning phases of trying to you know make sense out of it all and this all. One thing we keep being confronted with was is that you know your your ego stands in the way, but at the same mm -hmm. time, you need it. Do we need suffering in order to understand enlightenment? I think suffering is very valuable as the starting point. I think that is really where we have to start. 
Uh, and we're in a great denial of suffering. We, we always try to justify our suffering. And as we are ordinary human beings, we tend to think of reality in a dualistic way. So we believe that unless there was suffering, how could we ever experience any joy and pleasure? So that is just due to our habitual way of thinking. We can't imagine that there is joy unless we had suffering. We have to have the ups and downs. So we are just kind of hoping that at the end of life, our uh, the amount or the moments of happiness will outnumber the moments of suffering and that's how we justify it yeah but then you you know you have the rest of us that we don't want to wait till then to to sort of figure it all out we'd like to have a little uh we'd like to have a little bit of a heyday that lasts longer than just a day and have a, a hay month or a hay year where where we feel like everything is copacetic so we go to yoga we learn about samadhi and we're we're like hey can't can't I just cross my legs in lotus and do so at work, come home and do so at home and have my kids jump up in my little lotus legs uh, where I smell like uh, the perfect uh, uh, product that I, you know, I got at my local uh, ecological, you know, I am a good person store. Um, is there, is, can suffering last a little shorter or can enlightenment last a little longer? Or, or do they just go hand in hand, period? If enlightenment can last a little longer or suffering can last a little shorter, I think, Ellis, we need a sound analysis of uh, suffering here. Mm. So if we look to, uh, to the Buddha's analysis of suffering, he says that there are three kinds of uh, suffering and it makes it all clearer to us and they, have, they are gradually more subtle. So, of course, we have the, on the most gross level, we have the suffering of suffering, which is pain, which is headaches, backaches, or, uh, or, or mental uh, suffering. But we really, it's something that we can all recognize that this is suffering. We can all agree that this is suffering. This is unpleasant. Uh, the second uh, kind of suffering is the suffering of change. It's, it's what is bound to happen in this changing, ever-fluctuating reality. Everything has to change and we have to suffer. Because uh, as the Buddha says, everything that is heaped up will tumble down. And every meeting will end with uh, separation. Uh, everything that is gathered will uh, disperse and everything that lives will die. So all these things that we, we strive for are, are bound to change. And uh, well, that wouldn't have to be a problem unless we were attached to them. But what causes our suffering is that we, we try to solidify a, a changing reality the same way as we try to solidify the process that we are. So we try to solidify an ego and we try to give that ego what the ego wants and that's fine. But the next day the ego wants something else. Mm. So by default we are bound uh, to suffer. And uh, on the most subtle level you have uh, what the Buddha called the all-pervasive suffering. And this is the suffering of simply being in samsara. And by simply being in samsara, we are bound to act. We have to perform actions. We have to gather karma. 
and whether we want it or not, we are all involved in the interactions of samsara. So whether you go to your good person store and buy your ecologic stuff that are not produced by enslaved children in the third world, somewhere down the road where you invest your money and what you buy into will through some alleys and uh, um, uh, hundred interactions later it's part of some dirty business like a weapon trade or or uh, abuse of uh, of human beings or animals mm. and the like so we're all part of this network so we can't avoid generating uh, negative uh, karma so well, that's one way of, of seeing it. Simply being in samsara, we're bound to, to suffer. Yeah, and simply being in a modern, informed, you know, connected world, there just seems to be such a, an overflux of information exchange that uh, when you're being sort of exposed to things even that you don't necessarily adhere to nor are fond of, it still sort of makes you feel dumb. And is is ignorance also not you know, borderline stupidity, but it is it is it ignorance in a certain light like, well, what you don't know won't hurt you, and therefore I don't need to know how this carton was made. I don't need to question the fact that these beautiful grapes that taste so delicious were put into a plastic container that I buy time and time again, because in this particular country you can't even find ecological grapes outside of a plastic basket. Um, where where do we draw the line? How can we keep keep eating uh, the the grapes of our own divine intervention without always looking at things like a hand slap? Like, is is hand slapping part of the is is the world at functioning at a velocity in terms of capitalism in our Western world that we we can't stop long enough to find a solution to the the plastic that we're putting. Uh, uh, under the grapes that are so delicately being picked from the vines in a faraway land? Mm. I think it's really to start in the wrong end. We, if we start with uh, all the details in this uh, co very complex capitalistic world and trying to do all the right things all the time means that you're trying to separate from samsara, which is impossible. So rather than starting in, in that end, uh, I think we have to uh, we have to look at ignorance in relation to uh, um, what do we believe about ourselves? Who do we believe ourselves to be? Uh, do you believe that you can that you are one solid entity that can somehow separate from samsara and and run your own business and not be uh, be part of anything so um uh, so ignorance is really failing or avoiding or denying or not wanting to to look at yourself to look at who you you truly are and confront your own ego so it's often the case that we're trying to, we're entering a kind of spiritual life and we think the aim of that is to be a better person. Mm. But it's maybe just our ego who wants to be a spiritual ego, who wants to be, improve itself. And if we want to go into this uh, disassembling this ego, that's not such a, a pleasant process. It's not a pleasant process, but is it necessary to understand how our suffering works instead of saying i don't want to suffer mm. would you suggest that you need to know how to suffer and learn more how to suffer 
uh, appropriately so that it can it can it can give you more openings along the way to to either suffer less or more effectively yeah do you get my drift mm, yeah i think there are, are ways of uh, of suffering of course we are we are living in this world and and things will come our way we we will suffer but there is also a lot of unnecessary suffer that suffering that is self created which has to do with our expectations of how things should be mm. which has to do with uh, with our grasping to ourselves or our self identity and grasping to um, to the world as a solid uh, reality in that exists independent of our own projection and our own minds so if we try to kind of also bend their bend the world to to work in in our favor that that's that's not going to happen the the world is is way too complex for that no oh, okay uh, sometimes I think the contrary, but I, I see along the lines of this subject that it, that you're in fact right. But, you know, um, this narrative that you keep mentioning now and then again, that people sort of construct, listen to, and, and give speech speeches to themselves about this narrative of, 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 of yeah, in fact, suffering, because you're, you're creating an illusion or an expectation that things should be in accordance to uh, how you see them and and expect them to be but i mean we're we're in fact living you know in some 8.6 different billion worlds it's not just a world from our perspective how do we how do we break down our expectations uh or you know as a tool you know you have these beautiful um the first five uh of this patanjali you know eight-tiered uh, ashtanga Yoga Sutras, the first five were related to the Saddhana chapter uh, that was really, you know, giving us tools to uh, avoid or to deal with our suffering in a very sort of specific way to understand contentment and santosha, to, to do the discipline, to look at yourself in self-study, to, you know, avoid that which harms you in ahimsa, to... To, to think of a non-stealing nature or to be celibate or to find devotion. All of these aspects in these sutras, for example, do you think that there are tools uh, that are necessary or do you think, do you need to shut down all of your expectations of tools uh, and just, you know, cut the crap and breathe, move? Does does yoga, for example, does it does it help with, suffering in your opinion i think in in yoga you have a certain moment where you can uh, actually experience quite quickly that uh, happiness is not necessarily dependent on outer circumstances i think you can uh, you can quite quickly find that kind of inner peace relaxation where you just feel everything is okay and you get an experience that this has nothing whatsoever to do with outer circumstances or getting what you want it's not a dualistic happiness that was dependent on something uh, you just kind of lay down you breathe and you feel okay everything is okay and you're not a vegetable, you're fully aware. Um, but you get that spaciousness. And spaciousness is a form of acceptance, of not conceptualizing things. So we have, we can have that in glimpses. 
but we are not yet as uh, novice yoga practitioners able to sustain it or to bring it into our li daily lives to a to a great extent so we just got to keep going to yoga classes again and again to have these glimpses i think and we get up out of the class and 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 we feel good so in 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 other words you know metaphysically if you're doing or performing uh, an act uh, in terms of this you know the, the, this inner karma this this you know going in versus out and upon going in there's certain things that fire up and fire off and connect and uh, also release um, is suffering a result of a, a chemical uh, compound that also uh, gets sort of boiled and coiled up that needs to you know literally disperse and let go is it can we boil suffering down to something that you can almost see under a microscope or is it not as chemical as we think it's it's pretty darn simple well, where is suffering, Alice? Mm. Is there any suffering in the external world as such? Is there really any good or bad or any painful things existing in themselves? Very good question. Now I hear where you're going with this. You're, you're going to get me to say now that suffering is uh, full, full, fully my own deal and I'm feeling it all on my own and... And uh, that that is that is actually something. If I was to bring it back to myself, mm -hmm. that suffering often is um, it's being too wordy in your own mindset. Mm -hmm. It's being too um, it's it's noticing that the, you know maybe maybe the lump in your throat is just because you're so damn exhausted after a long day that it's not because a lot of different people are doing you wrong, mm -hmm. or that someone's not meeting your expectations. So. That's why I asked the question if, you know, does it boil down to sleep? Does it boil down to people that are jet lagged, you know, not having a good meeting uh, and then afterwards suffering because they didn't get the contract. But when they really think about it, they really weren't at their best when they gave the presentation. So I'm just trying to look at suffering if, you know, in a methodical timetable. Mm -hmm. Is is there something in our Western, you know, way too much going on world to to sort of boil it down or, or turn the boiling off? Yeah, in order, in order, I, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I see where you're going with uh, with this and uh, giving the presentation, and you didn't get the job, and you think it all has to do with the, with your presentation, and that is definitely something that uh, uh, has to do with our uh, Western culture and what we call the meritocracy. We think everything that happens to us is due to our own making. Whether you succeed or not is totally up to you and has nothing to do with a million other circumstances that you are not in control of or being at the r right place at the right time. We are not in control of the world, but we have still created a, a society where it's expected for you to be successful, to stand out, to do such and such. And that can make samsara a hell of a lot more difficult for us. Mm. I'm thinking with this, you know, samsara, there are certain people tuning in and they're like, you know, that sounds like a wonderful name of a child uh, in a hippie family. Yeah. Samsara, can you come here? Uh, honey, you're looking so pretty today your hair is just extra curly samsara what what is samsara if you can give us the the quick breakdown what the what the heck is this samsara thing mm. 
Yeah, samsara really works. Uh, it means uh, flowing together in uh, in Sanskrit. As far as you can translate Sanskrit in Tibetan, it's korva, which literally means going in circles. So it's what I touched upon uh, earlier that we are just going in circles due to our habitual tendencies, our samskaras. If we let them just uh, um, uh, just uh, rule our lives as they do most of the time, uh, we will be going in samsara. So samsara is rather than thinking of it as a place, we can think of it as a kind of uh, existence. Or we can try to uh, uh, render it in a little more contemporary words and we can say that we all have these evolutionary patterns, evolutionary actions that keeps reinforcing themselves and keeps us at one certain level of, uh, of existence that keeps us on repeat, so to say. Mm. So it's, it's, it's almost like a broken record. That, that has a little scratch in it. Mm. Or, I mean, if, if there is a cyclical nature to uh, suffering, which at least I've noticed with myself, that that is in fact almost like it comes right on time. Uh, here, here it comes almost as if I, even as a man, I'm, you know, I'm going to have that, that little time every month where I just, oh, I fall down and it's, it's hard to get up even when the world thinks I'm, I have no reason to, to, to lower my head. So, I don't know. I'm. I'm just. You know. I'm trying to put it into to to some sort of context. If I was to think that you know maybe this particular podcast, also approaching such a vast subject like suffering or a very diffused but concrete one, based on an individual's own suffering, because no one can tell me how I suffer and how it feels. Versus, you know, it's a hard thing to talk about, isn't it? Suffering. Mm. Yeah, it's not a it's not a popular thing to to talk about, and I don't think people like to really talking about it because it's uh, it's associated with failure. Mm. With you know, you have everything and yet you suffer, and why? You don't understand why, uh, and it, it, it's it's associated with well, not succeeding. We we should be happy. We should do this. We should do that. We should certainly uh, uh, we should strive to have the the things that will make us happy, and then we should uh, we should be happy. So that kind of just creates even more uh, frustration. And I think we also tend to uh, look to others and think that they are so damn happy all the time because that's what we're exposed to. Mm. Nobody really talks about this uh, suffering. So for me, it's actually great relief to relate to the to the truth of suffering so okay so i know that the default state is uh, unsatisfactory it's suffering that's that's our state of uh, of being so from there we can actually start to work we can we can look suffering in the eyes and only then we can do something if we keep on denying it all the time we're not going to get anywhere okay so this is like uh, the the sa the suffering anonymous where you you start off and a good, uh, a good first step is just to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm suffering." Or would the would the rest of the people in the group, they wouldn't clap their hands, but they'd go, "Duh! Of course you're suffering." <laughs> uh, and anyone tuning in on the podcast that sees this, you know, what is suffering? Title, um, they're looking maybe even for an answer. But I mean, there is no answer as such. But you know, we're the yoga syndicate. There, there must be a guideline. Um, you know, before we wrap it up here, if if you were gonna play God on the concept of suffering and 
and not you know connect to your uh, all your all your 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 knowledge as such would you would you give us just one tip of um well maybe one example of how you suffer and one tip of how you deal with it mm, yeah i think the the trick of uh, understanding suffering is to to understand that all we ever feel and think and experience is just information what we do with that information is suffering or happiness you know so i think if we can uh, for a moment take a step back and just uh, actually try to be a bit creative even to uh, why do I have to look at this in the same way every damn time? Can I just look at what comes my way as information? And then I can create a little gap and maybe try to approach it in a, in a different way. Uh, so if we are going to deal with suffering, we, we, really, we really have to look at what our uh, minds are doing. And you can, you can see that very clearly. So one of the most painful and pleasurable situations is to be in love really when you're so full with these emotions but you're also so full with uh, expectations and there's so many hormones and things firing off in your in your system and sometimes you can even sit on the side and watch it all watch your inner drama see your reactions then you can take a step back and say okay so this is just information what is happening in my body why do this daydream come up now it's crazy mm -hmm. and you can then you can have a choice okay i'm gonna go with it i'm gonna go into this like crazy daydream and knowing it will never happen i know it will cause me pain so in in certain situations you can see it very clearly and especially as you get a bit older and you know your patterns a bit then you can try to see it more clearly so you can Sometimes you can suffer with great pleasure, even because yes. you know you chose it. It's like a ride at the, you know, a new ride they put up at some amusement park, and then you buy a fast pass, mm -hmm. so you can you you don't have to stand in line for it. You just want to go straight to the suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking, you know, I love what you're talking about in regards to information as such. And it's you know, it's acquiring information. Uh, it's how to step away and look at it as information and not just. You know, adapt it and 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 put it into a, a feeling that that you just don't want to grab a hold of because you're just so busy being hurt, like a headache, like a gulp uh, that you that you're swallowing down in just pure and utter disappointment time and time again. But if it makes me think of information as such of what we as adults construct, and what a child leaves behind based on not their capacity, but their their lacking of an understanding that they're not meant to have nor deal with because they're so busy being carefree that a child they might suffer but it's the suffering of suffering it's related to pain to you know a braise and a scrape on your knee and, and and a tear and someone wiping it off i mean it's very emotional but it seems to come and go just as quick as it comes and goes mm -hmm. uh we harbor more maybe because there's there's a little more uh, information to to regurgitate, not realizing that we're actually just mentally constipated mm. um, from our own crap, mm. and we can't get it through. Uh, what's your take on the the child uh, and children in regards to suffering? Yeah, I think we create more stories around our suffering. 
uh, a child might uh, experience some uh, uh, some suffering and and as you say when once the uh, scratch on the knee is is gone one, once the pain is is gone the the child is not suffering anymore whereas we an adult as adults we create so much uh, story around it oh i fell down again and somebody saw me i'm ashamed i shouldn't feel ashamed i'm putting myself down again so we create this like whole construction whole story about it and we do that not the least with uh, with our emotions so we we think our emotions can be wrong or they can be right well, then maybe the answer to the story is we're still a child in the land of make-believe because we keep making these things up mm. uh, we just have perhaps a different way of uh, of like you know pawning it off on well I'm suffering because and a kid sometimes uh, and I've noticed with my own children sometimes they look up at me and they're just like uh, what's your problem now and uh, in many ways uh, you don't want them to be right and you just you know in my case I play the father role and I just push it away like you don't know you haven't lived but actually I'm thinking damn it <laughs> they're right again I I'm obviously I've, it's gotten to the the heightened point that they are calling me out so do we need to be called out do people externally need to help us or can they even help us not with our ultimate job of you know sustaining and understanding our own information and suffering but can they help us get through uh, some of the bumps in the road uh, enough to 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 flatten out these mountains that don't exist. Um, so, what kind of people do you mean? Can, I mean, like like friends, family, mm. you know, in people that inspire us. I mean, mm. a podcast wouldn't be so popular if there wasn't a lot of people sitting in their cars, needing or wanting some sort of you know uh, some something to feed on or something to to, to nourish themselves with. Mm. Um, I don't know. Do you think? Do you well, think it, is it all internal suffering, or do, are there factors out in the world where you're not meant to wrinkle your forehead and, and get upset by? Yeah, I think I think uh, there is certainly a lot of self-created pain out there, and uh, as you mentioned, ma the world of make-believe of children. I think we as adults we have created the world of make-believes through all our concepts and all our expectations. So we, I think, our world of uh, make-believe it, it is far bigger and far more complex than the than the child's world and I always I always find it very liberating to encounter people who are completely different from me who has uh, uh, completely different problems from me so something that would might be a big obstacle to for me is just like it, it it's nothing for them so then it's through so in that way I can I can learn to to see through my own patterns and see that okay so this the, it could be a, a different solution to this it could be a different take of this mine is not the only one mm. but you know I I so appreciate that and I, I see where you're coming from I just you know I, I've had the the great you know joy of visiting you in Kathmandu and and uh, and seeing life more or less how how you see it at least in that vicinity of the city itself, but I am um, I'm wondering you know in the land of possessions, um, uh, I'm you know growing up in California and you know every strip mall whether it's in California or or in Tennessee or wherever it might be they look the same, you know there seems to be like a 
an overabundance of things, an overabundance of, as you call it, information. Uh, there be there's there's just an overabundance. Do we need the cave? Do we need the mountaintop? Do we need, you know, just a certain cloth to cover our parts uh, and sit and meditate to to understand, um, or to back 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 off from 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 this overabundance and then find clarity to then define our our suffering? Are you talking about renunciation? There we go. Yeah. So well, it's it's quite clear that uh, it says in in all the guidelines that we have that you need renunciation, uh, and like Patanjali's Yoga Sutras were were written for Brahmin renunciates, so for them renunciation means one thing, and it can certainly be a a great help depending on the society to break away to leave behind your your family your your ties to your family, your friends, your possessions. But re renunciation can can also mean, like one very wise man said, to, to just focus on what is really important, just to be able to distinguish. Can you go through the mall without being unaffected? Well, then you're fine. Mm. Can you have all your... Uh, can you have your Tesla without falling in love with it and and crying if it if it gets a scratch in the uh, on the surface? So it it really depends how we how we deal with the with the outside world. So you can be a great renunciate as as, as long as you're not attached to things. But uh, it could also be a good exercise to. Uh, it's quite common uh, for practitioners to go in retreat for periods of time where you try to live a more simple life, where you try to sort of temporarily shut out all the noise from the, the outside world and, and focus inwards. But uh, you don't necessarily need to do that your whole life. It, it, it depends how strong your practice is, really. I see. Now, uh, a question to you in terms of, you know, the, the daily renunciate, the one who you see on the streets in, in Nepal uh, every day. I mean, they seem to be a very happy, and it's not just in accordance to how they live and where they live, uh, and these beautiful stupas and you know the traditions and the ringing the bell and the walking in the one direction. It's mm -hmm. it's not just crossing off uh, or checking the box. Um, these people are living a certain life, at least as you witness it in everyday life, that makes you believe, and this could just be once again perception, um, that they are. A happier group of people mm. and often we we like to visit places and one thing where we seem to be very touched by is a collective feeling a feeling that collectively that that there are groups of people that are have figured something out and are living life in a bit more harmony but when we leave that and we come back to wherever we might come back to often we're just back in our so-called rut do we predetermine our joy do we predetermine our suffering ahead of time based on location based on situation do you think almost like the you know a weather forecast do we do we almost predict our suffering coming around the corner mm, we try to we certainly we try to predict our pleasures coming around the corner and we often try to set up like that you know when i go on holiday everything's going to be so great or when I when I get that 
job or when I when I give up that job everything's gonna be so great so we try to predict what is gonna make us happy but uh, that might be the most miserable time in our lives we might end up arguing the whole holiday and um, we don't like the job or we like don't like being unemployed so we never we can't really predict our uh, happiness so we certainly set ourselves up for suffering uh, whereas a, a more uh, a more simple life I think the attraction of this kind of life is that you're not afraid of anything you know mm. you're not you're not afraid of either suffering but but you you're sort of distancing yourself you're, you're not afraid from not considering any of this because just considering anything planning for anything uh, hoping for something that the act of all of that you know waiting planning hoping uh, determining the act of just that is also suffering forgetting the result in itself it almost takes our breath away so it's like it's almost like a connective invisible goo between aspects of life I mean is one key to minimize all the goo between all things to to meditate to breathe in your opinion um, I think it's uh, it's a good way to uh, to um, disentangle ourselves to to meditate so that's really what uh, meditation does it slows down this uh, ongoing process uh, of the mind so that we can see what is actually happening we can see more clearly how we handle our uh, information so meditation in a way to to separate the information from the story that we make up around it we can say it as uh, as simple as that mm. um and uh, I think if you if you look at it, the the simple people you see walking around Kathmandu and people like us who have so much and we have set up our, our lives to have less suffering and more joy. Uh, we have made all these schemes, but is it really that much difference? I mean, can't we also get sick and die and and lose our our loved one no matter what we do? So I think we we can't mm. really we can't really escape suffering no matter what we do. No. And can we really influence the the world in such a way that we will have the perfect holiday that we won't have diarrhea the whole time or something might go wrong? Mm. No, I I uh again, you know, I know that you wake up, you know, there was an old commercial on TV in the states, you know, about, you know, recruiting people into the army and it was like mm. We do more before 5 a.m. than most people do all day. And um, I always found that kind of funny because in my adult life, I've almost never seen anyone get up before 6.30 or 7 a.m. But I see, I see the, you know, the, the very dedicated Ashtanga practitioners you know, up very, very early. You amongst you know, some of the select few that over a long, long uh, period, over years, you've been waking up. You call that you know, and meditation, a certain, you know, untangling. Um, how do you, how does this directly affect the rest of your day in regards to not avoiding suffering, but dealing with what the day gives you? Does this morning practice both physically, mentally, and, you know, cyclically, because you do it every morning, is that in fact, um, 
instigating an, a, a cause and effect, mm. that the effect is, is that you have more harmony during the course of your day, mm. therefore equals to I suffer less than I normally would have? What's your answer on that? Well, I, I used to look at my yoga practice like this. Uh, I would start the day with the, with the hardest thing in the day. So, uh, as you know, Ashtanga uh, practice can be quite uh, challenging and it was quite often, or I would say almost, or most of the time, uh, a struggle in itself to just start to motivate yourself to stand on the mat and feel so damn alone and I have to do it again. And so it was always this uh, thing to, to overcome in the morning. And then the practice starts to flow and, and you feel better and you feel sweaty. And and after that, I felt, okay, the hardest part of the day is gone. Now come what may. So I think in that way, it wasn't necessarily that, that my day became so much more harmonious, but I didn't care so much. No, I, I think we'll leave it at that, you know, come what may and uh, try not to care so much. Uh, and at the same time, you know, honing in uh, on, you know, the subject uh, and the end of the subject on our first uh, cast when you, you mentioned, you know, that we, we need to shape, form, understand that we need a, we need a map. And um, let's just hope for the best and uh, know that uh, it just will and it shall come what may. Uh, also in regards of this uh, this <laughs> this very vast, diffused, but very um, sort of uh, important um, topic of what is suffering. So until the next time, thank you, Ellen. And this is Ellis signing out uh, from the Yoga Syndicate. <laughs>